Amen. Thank you, Bruce. I actually had no idea what Bruce was going to stand up here and talk about, and so I told him last week, I go, man, I trust you. <laughs> um, but it's actually unbelievable because, well, I mean, nothing's really unbelievable. Unbelievable because really the direction we're going today is right in that category. It's about perspective. And hearing Bruce's story really puts into light a lot of what I've been wrestling with over this past week. And I've really been struggling and wrestling with the idea of perspective. You know, perspective is a really funny word because at the same time, it means so many different things. I mean, it can apply to, if we look at this grand sweeping view, or it can apply to architecture or linear mathematics. The idea of perspective is, is, is a word that is used in so many circles, but almost all the time, perspective is about relationships. It's about how we see or understand something in relation to something else. Whether that's tangible or whether it's something that exists solely in our imagination, perspective is about how we see things in relationships and the importance or non-importance we place on those things. It's really a, a matter of how we see and not with our eyes, but how we see things. How we see situations or how we see the world or how we see thoughts. And every day we deal in perspective. We deal in it when we talk about politics. We deal in it when we talk about life. When we talk about good and evil. When we talk about raising our children. When we talk about death. When we talk about dilemma or situations of any sort, we talk about and deal in perspective. And I've really been struck with this idea. And you might be thinking, well, that is kind of an odd thing to be struck with. But But recently in this past week or so, I've been thinking through and dealing with things that I don't really know what to do with. Because there are things that don't fit into the neat little compartments in my mind. And I think we all have those places in our mind where when something happens or a situation unfolds or even just a mental process that we're having, we usually can compartmentalize them into secret places or to specific places. I know what to do with that. I may not like it, but I know where it goes in my head. But life hands us things at times that we don't know where to go with them. And so we find ourselves wrestling with the how or the why questions. And we don't know where to file these things. And perspective is really important. And I found myself thinking through some of these things in light of our spiritual lives. Because perhaps when we think about our spiritual life, when we think about following Christ, feet in the footprints of Jesus... Lives that are called to reflect him to the world. There is no more important idea than the importance of perspective. How we see the world. And I was thinking about my spiritual life and the things that were kind of unfolding in my life and in my head. And where I put these things and how I deal with them and what they mean. And I was really struck when I was spending time with the Lord. Because I realized, or God was reminding me, that following him... That putting my feet in the place that Jesus put his feet, that trusting him, that living a life that spiritually says, I want to be a believer, someone that follows you, Jesus, requires a total different perspective than what I'm used to. It requires a completely different perspective than what is natural for me. It requires a totally different way of seeing the world. And in a sense, it requires an eternal perspective. It requires a perspective that is opposite to what is ingrained in my nature. And I was struck with these verses that we're going to look at, look at in 2 Corinthians today because I believe that Paul, the Apostle Paul, had a perspective 
that was eternal in nature. It was opposite to everything that was ingrained in who he was. And I think it's important for you and I, especially in light of some of the things that Bruce just shared, to think about how do we see the world? And not just see the world in terms of people and things, but really the perspective that we attach to stuff in our life, whether it's material or imagined or mental or circumstance. How do we attach perspective and ideas to it? And I believe that what God showed me this week through, through Paul's words, through three short verses buried in the middle of a letter to the church in Corinth, is that you and I are called to have a perspective that is radically different to the perspective that is, comes from our nature and really stems in this. How do you see the world? Not visibly, solely, but how do you see the world? This morning, we're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians, just briefly. We're not going to do a, a ton of stuff, and it's not going to be this giant, profound thing, but I just want us to explore the idea. Because God turned my thinking upside down over the past few days, just in terms of how I look at things in my life and things that have recently unfolded. And I believe it's a word for us as the church, and probably a word for us as individuals, about how we see the things around us. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you don't have one, there's some right there on these little pedestals there. Grab one, take one. If you don't own a Bible, take one of ours. Steal from us. They are yours. Take it. Give it away. Do something with it. I'll buy more. Just take them. If those are there for you. If not, keep it, use it, leave it for next week. We'll put them out each week. If you own a Bible, bring it every single Sunday. What I can promise you is about what, what we're going to do here is we are going to get into God's Word every single week. So you might as well bring it. Okay, I've got mine, so there you go. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Before we open this together, let's just pray that God would open our hearts and our minds to His Word that He might speak to us this morning. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful that you love us and that you care for us and that you ultimately desire this relationship with us. And that as Bruce even mentioned, God, that you call us to a life that surrenders to you. That just says, God, I want to be about you. I want you to take just a moment in your own heart, right where you sit. I just want you to ask God to reveal himself to you this morning. Just whisper those things in your heart. God, Reveal yourself to me this morning. And pray for someone beside you. Maybe you know their name. Maybe you don't. Maybe you've never seen them before. Just whisper in your heart. Just ask God to move in their life. God, we ask that your word will come alive to us this morning, that it would penetrate our hearts. God, we know that your word is sharper than any double-edged sword, and an encounter with you, um, God, is an encounter with your word, and an encounter with your word is an encounter with you. So speak to us this morning in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 16, and before I read these verses, I want you to understand them in light of the context that they're written in. Because really, in order to understand these three verses buried in the fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians, we have to understand the context in which Paul is pinning them. The context in which he's writing them in. 
You know, Paul, every day he opened his eyes was a day that he might die. Now, I know that's true for us, every single one of us. We don't know, as we just heard from Bruce, what this day may hold. But Paul, it was an especially important reality. Because every day he opened his eyes was a day that he might die for the truth that he was proclaiming. Whether he would be arrested or beaten or killed or imprisoned was a reality that he lived with. He lived with the fact that when he proclaimed the gospel, he might be seized and stoned to death. And not in the way that we think about where you pick up a few rocks and you throw them at someone, but literally grabbed, taken outside of town, hurled off a cliff and had boulders thrown down upon you until you died and then you were left there to rot. That was what stoning was in those days. This was Paul's reality. Every day he dealt with his own mortality that today as I wake up, Lord, the truth that I proclaim could get me killed. We know from from Scripture that Paul had been through all kinds of hardships, that he'd been imprisoned multiple times, that he'd received the Jewish form of execution by lashes minus one, so just one lash short of being executed multiple times. We realize that he'd been beaten and stoned, and that each time God has allowed him to escape. But Paul's reality was this, the gospel I proclaim might kill me. And what he's writing to the church in Corinth is he's saying this, I want you to understand that what I proclaim and what my fellow apostles are proclaiming is so real that we understand in the middle of it our own mortality. We understand that the truth behind these words could cost me my very life. And what I want you to understand that as, as the church, this truth is that important. And I want you to understand that this grace is for you and I want your thankfulness to overflow. And that's kind of where he leads up to. And then in verse 16, chapter 4, Paul says this. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Paul speaking about himself and the other apostles as well as the church. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all of them. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. Now these verses may be familiar because we pull them out in our Christian kind of context oftentimes and apply them to different things in our life. But really if you look at them in context, buried in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, we realize that there's a lot of power in these verses. And I believe they hold a lot of truths for you and I when we think about perspective. Paul says, listen, We don't lose heart because even though outwardly we are wasting away. You know, the older I get, the more I realize the truth in those statements. That we, our bodies, are wasting away. I mean, we don't like to talk about it like that, but it's true. I mean, every day that goes by, we get one day closer to dying, and our bodies are one day closer to not being like they were when we were 20. We find gray hairs you know, in places. We find black hairs in places that we didn't know we had. You know, I mean, I went running for the first time several weeks ago, and I was all great. Went like three miles. Like, that was easy. Woke up the next morning, and I wished I was dead. Like, I heard in places I didn't know existed. I mean, I have to stretch sometimes before I empty the dishwasher. I literally almost threw my back out reaching for the remote a few days ago. Like, these are things, (coughs) excuse me, that didn't happen when I was 20. 
And I know I make light of it a little bit, but the truth is that there are some of us sitting in this room that have dealt with physical diagnosis or ailments or illnesses that have brought this concept to a, a very real reality over the past weeks or months or years. That our bodies are temporary. That they're wasting away, literally. You know, I look at Paul, and I look at the realities that he faced on a daily basis. We know Paul faced all kinds of illness. We know that he got sick one time, he almost died. We know that he probably had issues with his eyesight. We know that he faced all kinds of hardships. We know that he'd been bitten by snakes, he'd been shipwrecked. We know that he's been beaten, he's been imprisoned. We can only imagine the misfortunes and torture this man has experienced. The reality that he speaks to this with is really powerful. He says, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly, inside we are being renewed day by day. An eternal perspective, a true eternal perspective should change the way we see our own lives. You know, there's two $10 Christian words that most of us have either heard or are familiar with, but I think bear defining at this point. And they're, they're the words justification and sanctification. We hear them in, in Christian theology and our Christian understanding a lot, but they're really important words. The word justification is something that happens one time. When I put my trust in Jesus Christ, when I surrender my life to Jesus Christ, I am justified by my faith. I am saved. We are justified by faith alone. What that means is that when I trust in Jesus, I'm saved. It happens once. That my faith justifies me. I trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I am saved. I am justified. The word sanctification literally means the process of being made holy. Sanctification is what happens after we're saved. It's the process of maturing and growing in our relationship with Christ. It's what the Holy Spirit does and how he works in our life. Sanctification is the ongoing process of being made holy. It's, it's my walk with Christ. It's the Holy Spirit moving in me after I've been saved to mature me and grow me. And it takes a lifetime and there is no end. It's that part of my life that is growing and attempting to become like Jesus. It's really what Paul's referring to here. He says, <clears throat> we don't lose heart even though outwardly we're wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed. <coughs> Excuse me. An eternal perspective understands that our lives are fleeting, they're temporary. <clears throat> but God is working and renewing me. I was struck by this because there's a reality in there. That our lives focus oftentimes on all the wrong things. <clears throat> we focus on this, what we see, what we can put our hands on. But the reality is an eternal perspective is about the eternal. So listen to what Paul says in verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You know, an eternal perspective should change the way I see my struggle. It should change the way I see how I deal with troubles and struggle and internal conflict. Oh, look at Don. Sweet boy. You're a good man. I'm about to choke myself to death. <laughs> that would be irony of all ironies, wouldn't it? <clears throat> um, <clears throat> so, okay, so listen to this. Life is hard. Right? I mean, 
what a ridiculous statement, but it's true. Life is hard, and I heard it growing up all the time. My dad would say, hey, Treb, listen, we're going to plant some stuff in the flower beds. I want you to go out, and I want you to pull the rocks out of the flower beds. And I grew up in Austin, and Austin, is, the soil is riddled with limestone. I mean, pulling rocks is not pulling rocks. It involves a, a giant 40-pound bar, 100-pound bar we called a widowmaker, and it involved a pickaxe. It involved moving rocks. And I'd go out there and start, and then I'd come in, and I'd be like, Dad, I can't move all those rocks. It's hard. And he'd look at me and he'd go, life's hard. Move the rocks. I know he's attempting to build character and turn me into some kind of great man, but the truth is it didn't make the rocks any lighter. And the older I get, the more I realize how ridiculous that statement is. Life is hard. Life is more than hard. Life is incredibly difficult. Life, just when something feels like it couldn't go worse, it happens. Just when we feel like we finally have been bombarded enough, the air conditioner breaks, the fence falls down, the dog runs away. So we get a, a phone call from someone we haven't heard of in years, and we find a tragedy is happening. Life is hard. And you know what? Following Jesus doesn't help. Following Jesus doesn't make life easier. It actually makes life more difficult because just when I feel like I got a handle on my finances, on my relationships, on my own comfort, I come face to face with the gospel and it messes all that up. And what is more, the Bible tells us that when we follow Christ, we realize that our lives are under assault of the enemy. That John 10.10 says the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy that as we follow Christ, we're under a constant active assault by the evil one who is very real, whose scripture tells us is prowling around like a roaring lion. See, following Jesus doesn't make any life, life any easier. It may make it more joyful or more abundant, but it doesn't make it easier. It doesn't make rocks lighter. I think about Paul's life and how he addresses this. Knowing what we know about what he faced, what he struggled with, the daily battles he had, here's how he addresses his struggles for our light and momentary troubles. I don't want to trivialize what you're going through, so I'll just talk about myself. But when I think about the things I struggle with mentally, the things that we struggle with in our life, the things that, that I deal with, they seem really insignificant compared to what Paul had on his shoulders. The worry that I allow to creep into my mind seems pretty insignificant compared to the, the battles and the struggles that Paul faced on a daily basis. You know, no one's ever threatened to kill me for my relationship with Christ. I personally have never had to wonder if I was going to eat or if I'd ever get out of jail. Yet Paul calls his troubles light and momentary. And I find this absolutely fascinating. Because if anything, the hardships Paul faced were far from light. I mean, as you're receiving beatings to the point of death, that doesn't seem very light. As you're stuck in prisons all over Asia Minor and you're wondering if you'll ever get out, it doesn't seem very light. But an eternal perspective has a view of our struggles and our hurts and our troubles that recognize their rightful place. And Paul says it's not just that they're light and momentary, but they're earning for us an eternal glory. See, in relationship to the eternal nature of things, of the crown in which Paul was running for, the eternal life that was promised, meeting Jesus face to face, anything that happened on this earth was light and fleeting 
was momentary. But we look at things and we seem to think it's the end-all, be-all. Like we'll never get past this or it will never, we'll never move beyond it. But an eternal perspective says, even if it were to last my lifetime, it's still momentary. Because eternity is forever. And I was really struck by this this week as I was thinking through the things that I deal with and the things that I wrestle with. And that's, I put way too much importance on things that are light and momentary. And I'm not trying to trivialize them. I'm just trying to tell you that perspective is about the relationship in which you see things. And Paul saw his troubles in relationship to the eternal glory of Jesus Christ. And there's no comparison. Paul wraps everything up by saying this in verse 18. He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I love the way the NIV translates this verse. And we use the NIV in here because that's just what I use and what we've got. But, But I love the way the NIV translates this verse. It says, so we fix our eyes. Now, most versions will translate that word fix, that Greek word fix, which is a root of the word skopeo into this word look. So we look upon things not that are seen, but that are unseen. The problem with that is that that's not really what that word means. The word skopeo in the Greek really means adherence. It means contemplation. It means being watchful. It means something that we adhere our eyes to, that we contemplate and think about. So when we say we look at something, That can mean all kinds of things, from fleeting glances to a simple gaze. But when we adhere our eyes, when we fix our eyes, when we contemplate something, it takes all of me. And Paul says, so we adhere, we fix, he uses that word scopeo, our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Which is totally different than what our perspective, our natural perspective on life is. If I can't see it, I don't believe it. You have to show me first. I mean, that's how we exist. You need to prove something to me, and usually it has to be with my own eyes. Perspective is attached to that which is visible, tangible, that I can touch and put my hands on. And if I can't, I can't trust. I mean, we do it with God all the time. God says, trust me, and we demand that God shows us something. And only after God has given us something tangible do we give all of our praise and thanks. But Paul says our eyes need to be adhered to not that which is seen, but to what is unseen. Why? Because what's seen is temporary. It's fleeting. It's gone. Everything that this world is and is built on is gone. It's temporary. No matter how well built it is, how fortified it is, that goes with the things in our life and it goes with the way we fortify our hearts. It's temporary. But what is unseen is absolutely eternal. And what is unseen? It's the things of God. It's the way that God moves. It's the way that God acts. It's how God moves in relationship to people. In God's economy... Perspective is a totally different thing because the gospel turns everything upside down. And so often in our Christian lives, we get lulled into a worldly perspective and we find the pressures of the world just weighing on our lives. 
and we have no peace and no joy because our perspective is attached to things that aren't eternal. So what does Paul do in the middle of all that? He reminds the church. Remember, this letter is written to the church in Corinth. He reminds the church that they've got to have a perspective that's eternal on their own lives, on their own struggles, and on the very way they see the world. Because the way that God moves is not the way that we move. And just because something doesn't file into a compartment in our mind that we can understand doesn't mean we can dismiss it. It means that maybe we're looking at it completely and totally through the wrong lens. And as a church, there's a real big word for us in here. That really, as a church, it's really easy for you and I to attach our worldly perspective to how the church moves and works. We turn churches into corporations. We turn ministry into do's and don'ts, things that we think we can achieve or not be able to achieve, into ways that we should relate to the world based on what feels comfortable to us. The problem is an eternal perspective for the church is opposite to all those things. It requires faithfulness and trust, and it means stepping out in places that we never dreamed we could go. And a church with an eternal perspective says, God, we don't care about us. We care about you and what you're doing. We're not concerned with buildings and things and items, but we're concerned with the things that you're concerned with. And I believe somewhere along the way, the church, Big C, has on some level, and not all churches, speaking general church, Big C, has somewhere sold itself to the wrong perspective. You know, the real perspective that we're called to see life through, this eternal perspective, is really what's poured out at this table. That Jesus Christ loved you and I so much that he, he gave his life as an offering. That he sacrificed himself on a cross so that we might know him. I mean, that's really the picture of the ultimate in an eternal perspective is the idea that God loved me so much, even in all of my sinfulness, God loved me so much that he died for me. And this table that we participate in is a reflection of saying, God, I want my perspective to be eternal. Because if my perspective is worldly, this is bread and this is juice. But when I see the world through the lens of what's eternal, I recognize that this represents Jesus and what he did for me. And the blood that was poured out so that I might know him. And this isn't mere symbolism, but it's an expression of absolute love. And this table that we share in is, is not a denominational table. It's actually a table for all believers. It's a table for those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. For those that say, God, I love you and I trust you and I believe Jesus died for me. We share in this table as a community. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus, as he sat with his disciples, sharing that meal which we call the Last Supper, he took a piece of bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance 
of me. And in the same way, after they had had dinner, Jesus took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant, shed and sealed in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And when we take this cup and this bread, we proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection until he comes again. That this picture for us is about perspective. It's about worship. This morning, and as we do each time we take communion together, we take communion by means of intinction, which is a real fancy way of saying you just take a piece of bread from the basket and dip it in the cup. And we'll have stations on both sides. And you can just make your way down, and as you feel led, go. We don't do a whole lot of things really orderly, so if you want to sit for a while and come down later, you can. If you want to file down, you can do that. We want you to understand that if you don't feel comfortable taking communion, for whatever reason, if you're here for the first time, that is fine. This table is an expression of God's great love for us. And it's a promise for all believers that Jesus loved us this much. And as a reminder, as like I, I like to do, is that this stuff that we use is a picture of redemption. That God takes us, broken, flawed, sinful people, and through Jesus Christ redeems us. And the picture I like to paint is that our communion ware itself is from a little Christian family that started a business in Guatemala that takes recycled, broken glass, beer bottles, and Coke bottles, and turns them into something magnificent. That this is from the dump, turned into something that we use as the expression of our worship. And it reminds me of my life, that we are an absolute mess. But the God of the universe redeems us and uses us in an incredible way. I'm going to invite our servers to come forward this morning as we prepare to celebrate communion together.